Tathasabhagavato Arat Samha Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa So this evening I would like to talk about equanimity. It's a beautiful mental state. Some of you maybe have experienced it. And it's a wide topic, actually. I thought I would talk about 10 kinds of equanimity. Some of them are given in the post-canonical literature. But I found out that each of them is a Dhamma talk. <laughs> And I didn't want you to suffer spiritual indigestion. <laughs> and it actually technically is called spiritual dyspepsia. <laughs> SD. Spiritual dyspepsia. <laughs> I found out. So you'll be good. But even the stuff I have here is a lot. So uh, please have equanimity when you are listening. <laughs> The Pali word is called upeka. Upa there means justly, impartially, and ika, which is a root, uh, that Pali word means to look, to see, to view. So the verb would be ikati, to see. So sometimes it's very interesting to break, out, uh, break uh, up the word and really get the meaning directly. So seeing things or beings impartially, that's what is opaque. For me, it's very interesting in my life to watch in day life and in practice how I can apply this state of mind. What comes to mind in my mind is a uh, is my travel to Tibet in 1996. I had practiced a little bit in Tibetan tradition and I really loved uh, the Dalai Lama and all other monks. I said, let me go to Tibet and it's their country. And when I reached the airport, they checked in the computer, they have never seen a country, Uganda. I was so surprised. <laughs> They, though they had South Africa, but they have never, it's not in a system. I spend one hour convincing them that I'm from Uganda. I mean, somebody who was waiting me on the other end thought maybe I didn't come, you know. So then that was the first initiation into Tibet. And, <laughs> and next day was my birthday. I went to the Potala Palace, those who have been to Tibet. And, was wonderful, then I started traveling around. And sometime I, I would reach some Lord Brooks and say, I give my passport. Uh, and my passport is written Republic of Uganda. Then people would ask me, is Republic your country? I said, no. <laughs> then what about of? 
is of your country. <laughs> so then what about Uganda? <laughs> Say, yes, Uganda is my country. So they didn't know that even that country exists. I think next time I go to Tibet, I'll travel with my map on my face. <laughs> this is where Uganda is. So, uh, but uh, after staying for one month, and, uh, and I, I decided to go off the beaten track. I went to these places usually tourists don't go because usually you have to stay like for a short time in Tibet and then you have to go back. But for me, I extended my visa after paying uh, some kind of uh, money. And uh, I stayed. That time I wasn't a monk at that time, actually. I, sh I have to say that. So now I decided to go to a place. And this place, they have never think, seen tourists. So I got off the bus, went through my guidebook, and then I went to a, a, a village. All people came out of the village and all people on the street, children, all people shops. <laughs> I mean, people came from their shops and they were just in the middle of the road looking at me. I said, wow, I'm like a celebrity. I mean, I was in high spirit the whole day. I mean, I went to the temple there, the kids were going to school and they, they didn't go to school. They, they just hung around with me and some of them started advising, advising each other, no, you should go to school. They, they didn't want to go to school. They stay with me all the, all the time until the evening. And I decided to go back and I thought I'll get a, back, uh, a bus to Laza, the, the capital city. But actually when I went uh, to the bus station, they said, no, there's no bus. You have to stay here. I mean, there's no bus to go back. So I said, oh, I didn't expect that. So uh, I decided to look at my guidebook and then look for places to stay. So I found a cheaper one because, uh, I mean, it was very expensive to stay there. So then I went to the hotel. As soon as I went to the hotel, the first person ran away. I was so surprised. I mean, I was happy in the, the whole day, and this person is running away, and she was at a reception, so I could not get a room. I went on, you know those guidebooks, there's low prices, and then you go to medium. So I went to medium. <laughs> so it was a little bit of money, a lot of money, actually. So I went there, and then this time it was a man, actually, there sitting on a counter. And as soon as he saw me, he ran away. But unfortunately, he found a, roo a, a wall and started screaming. Could not find a way out of the wall. <laughs> started screaming. I said, what's going on here? <laughs> then... I went again to the top. I, I counted my money. I so, said, do you have enough money to pay Foster Hotel? Yes, go for it. So I went to the Foster Hotel. I mean, a long journey, actually, because I remember on the way, even dogs were trying to, uh, to attack me. I remember very well. So sometime as I was going, actually, to this Foster Hotel, I said, should I go to the police and report these people? And then I said, no, no, go ahead, just have some kind of equanimity. <laughs> Just go, maybe you'll find a room. So I went with that confidence. I reached the four-star four hotel. I'm telling you, the people looked at me, say, what do you want? I said, I, need, I, I want a room. They said, there's no room. I said, please help me. I cannot go back to Lhasa. <laughs> please.
please, I have, uh, please help. I pleaded because I, either it's that hotel or stay on a tree, actually. And it's very cold in Tibet, those who have been to Tibet. So uh, I, uh, they said, okay, no, wait. We are going to have a meeting. So the whole management of the hotel sat down to make a decision where to, uh, whether to admit me on a hotel or not. Then they admitted me. Of course, I paid them almost my entire money I had. <laughs> uh, they gave me a big room. Actually, I never stayed in that such a big room before. So they gave me a room, and then there was, people wanted to clean it, the cleaners. But they were afraid. So they started pointing to each other. You go, you go. So I saw them pointing to each other because the room was in front, their room was in front of mine. I said, what can I do now? They cannot even come to clean my room. So I went out and said, here's the key. So I went for a walk. So when I came back, they had cleaned the room. I stayed there whole night. I'm telling you, I had to come to terms with this kind of experience. All the whole day, I was full of joy. And now I'm really, really uh, uh, full of suffering because I've used all my money. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I had to, uh, to protect my health. So this is in a general way uh, how um, we can apply equanimity is that uh, sometimes uh, these things we don't expect, you know, and they come. As the Buddha said, Puta saloka dame kampati asoka viraja ke mangara uttaman. He said that the mind the mind which is untouched by the winds, this eight, uh, is called Lokadama, the wild, wild Dhamma. Sometimes they call it uh, uh, the eight winds. The Buddha said that it's Sores, uh, Asoka, is Sores. Viraga is not gluing on, it's, uh, not, uh, it's, in other words, it's, it's stainless. And kema, it's there, it's secure. So a mind which is not disturbed by these winds, it's actually sorrowless. It doesn't, doesn't bring sorrow. And the Buddha said that this is the greatest blessing. This is the greatest blessing. That's in Mangala Sutta, uh, where they talked about 38 blessings. So um, really, uh, from my experience in Tibet, I didn't really get angry at people who were doing this kind of thing. But I knew they have never seen an African. They thought I'm a date, actually. <laughs> when, as I told you in my last talk, they thought that I'm a protective deity. Uh, they are God, actually. So they are afraid, actually. So I don't know why. One would expect that they would invite me. But at any rate, it was my experience. And uh, I found out um, I had to bring some kind of understanding and equanimity to those events of be from being a celebrity to being somebody who's just following from heaven. I think the, the thought like, yeah, I just fell from somewhere up there. So, um, but this is also happening in our day life, in our sitting, in our meditation. We have these winds uh, blowing all the time, pain. Uh, we have pain and pleasure. Are you familiar with that? <laughs> Maybe <laughs> some pain comes. What are we doing when pain arises? Are we trying to stop it? Or are we uh, trying to struggle? Pleasure arises. 
can we extend that? Because there's a tendency, especially at this time of the retreat, you feel calm and peaceful. There's a, ten, a tendency to kind of try to get more of that and uh, wish that, okay, I should be in, uh, in abiding in this pleasant feeling all day. And then we try to compare our sitting. Oh, you know, when I did the Goenka retreat, you know, I had all these wonderful feelings, and now it's, something must be going wrong. There's nothing going wrong, actually. Everything is okay. That's the nature of the world, of these winds. Are you fighting because uh, you have a lot of uh, pain? It's useless actually to fight because you lose the battle. <laughs> Just like the, when, the, when the winds are blowing and you start fighting them, <laughs> so you, you can't fight them. It's the way how nature is. Gain and loss, pain, praise and blame, fame and disrepute. They come in pairs. Actually, there are so many uh, opposites, pair of opposites, but this is just a summary to make the eight worldly dhammas. There's a very interesting story that comes down from the Buddha. I think you find in Anguttara Nikaya. There's one time uh, a monk, I mean a person called uh, Atula, and he went to visit a monastery. And that monastery, there were many monks, but he talked to one monk. He's called Venerable Rewata. Venerable Rewata didn't say a single word. He just looked at the person, just like you when you're doing walking meditation. I don't know <laughs> if any person stops and uh, maybe driving and ask you direction. I don't know whether you, you reply them. I don't know. <laughs> Walking slowly. Actually, speaking of which, I don't know what actually people think of you when you're walking there. <laughs> I don't know, because in Uganda I was doing it, and then people thought I was looking for something. I got lost. Because I was going back and forth, and people say, what are you looking for? <laughs> so, um, and I didn't, uh, I, I, I kept quiet. Also, that looks weird, actually, because... <laughs> You don't say anything, and you're going back and forth. That's not how usually people walk in Uganda. <laughs> so, so this person was frustrated. Venerable Water didn't say anything. Then he went to uh, the next day. He went to uh, the same monastery. Maybe he was getting interested in Dharma, and then he went to a monastery to ask something. He landed on Venerable Sariputta. Venerable Sariputta was one of the, those monks who, who could analyze Dharma in details. All the subtle points of Dharma, he would expand, expound them. Yeah, kind of a Bidama, which is high Dharma. Very analytical, this kind of psychology. He has this mind like that. So now, Venerable Sariputta went on and on and on and on. I'm telling you, he was frustrated. He was really uh, very angry and left, and then went back the next day, thinking that he will try his luck. So when he came back, he found Venerable Ananda, who was attendant to the Buddha. Of 
course, Ananda had had the story that uh, the man was frustrated. He flew in anger and all this kind of thing. So, Venerable Ananda tried to explain explain the Dharma not too much, very little, and the man flew into a rage. How can you treat this Dharma, which is so profound, and treat it so lightly? Now he went to the Buddha. They all went to the Buddha and said, we're confused. We spoke a, a lot. Uh, we, we didn't say anything. And then the, the man was angry. We said a lot, and he was angry. And also we said a little, he was angry. So the Buddha said that in this world, there's no one who's beyond blame. For me, that's a very profound, actually, um, answer because this points to accepting acceptance. Because most of us, we don't accept situations in our life. We don't accept pain. We don't accept even um, loss, blame, disrepute. We, we tend to fight it. We tend to fight. Acceptance is very, very important. Wise acceptance, how, uh, how things are, is very, very important. We can extend it actually to, uh, okay, the Buddha said no one is beyond blame. Even the Buddha was blamed, actually. The Buddha was blamed. And then the Buddha, of course, has, had a sense of humor. <laughs> Sometimes he was blamed with, by somebody and, uh, by using harsh words and say, wait a minute, do you have relatives and friends? The person was uh, saying all these uh, bad words. He said, yes, I have relatives and friends. So, do you give them gifts when you go back, when you go to visit them? He said, yes, yes, I give them vis- gifts. But what happens if they don't, get, uh, they don't accept them? Oh, I take them back. So the Buddha said, okay, all the words you have said, please, I don't accept them. Take them back. <laughs> so that's Buddha's sense of humor. <coughs> So uh, we need to accept, actually. And then uh, it's up to us, actually, whenever somebody says something, whether we accept or reject, it's up to us. We have uh, freedom, actually. But most of the time, people get angry because some people say this, they did this and this. So how I work with this kind of winds myself uh, is actually to have some kind of space for the winds. Yeah. And I read it somewhere in a book, um, this kind of a Tibetan practice, actually, where they open their mind, their mind like sky. And the mind states like, um, like these kind of winds, they are like clouds. They pass through the sky without uh, attaching to the sky. And when I fly in airplane, I always th- look at the, the, the clouds, actually. Sometimes we even go below them. I mean, sometime above them, sometime we, go in, we just face them and we go through them. Always it amazes me how actually you reach a certain stage and then you're above the, the, the clouds and you just see them running down. So you see this sky which is so clear. But when I'm on the ground, when I look on the sky, they look to be actually part of the sky. 
actually they look to be attached to the sky. Let alone you can see they're moving. So the same thing, that's what we should do when we have this kind of uh, uh, winds blowing from time to time. Acceptance is very, very important of the, way, of the facts of life because most of us, we are, lead, uh, we are actually uh, living in a self-denial. We, don't, uh, we always blush of things we don't want. So sometimes we need to accept. Another way of practicing with these winds of pain is to see their impermanence nature and their conditionality nature, how they are conditioned. Actually, even um, we are talking less about the winds, when you look at our pain, it's also conditioned. It came due to cause and condition. There's nothing wrong that you are doing to have pain now or not uh, to have pleasure. So it's the way how things are. Things change from time to time. You just have to stay there and, and watch. These winds, for me, they are just like a drama. <laughs> well, the drama in in world. And uh, I, I've learned something that can that helped me actually to deal with all these things. Uh, uh, some people say, oh, you're a monk, you don't have any problem. But also we have a problem. We learn in lots of problems. We go to places that, where they have never seen us. Sometimes we go to checkpoints and all this. Um, they say fly somewhere and then they check you as if you are. You are uh, I mean, they check you as if you're hiding a knife somewhere. So I keep 227 precepts. Where am I going to keep the knife? <laughs> Just wasting my time. I have to fly. Sometimes I have to fly to California to teach. And somebody checks me, and in fact, I just feel that I'm very close to losing a flight to go to Spirit Rock to teach with other people. And I'm telling you, as a monk, sometimes we have to, you know, we have these robes, actually, that remind us not to really lose it. <laughs> it's very easy to lose it, actually. So the good thing we have some reminders. So this person is asking you questions and say, why are you asking me this question? I was in Uganda, living in Uganda. I'm traveling in US on a U.S. passport. Someone asked me, what were you doing in Brazil in 2010? I said, I mean, my flight actually was about to leave. <laughs> I mean, I, I was the last person, I think, on, on the airplane. But this person is asking me what I was doing in Brazil in 2010. I mean, I realistically told me, okay, please let me know. I'm going to the States. I'm leaving Uganda. <laughs> what has Brazil got to do with the United States or Uganda? I mean, if I didn't cut that, actually, this guy was still going through my passport. Actually, my passport is fascinating. People just look at pages and visas and all that thing. Sometimes, actually, they forgot even to stamp when I was in Tibet. They forgot to stamp my passport, and I was in hot soup. Actually, I faced a lot of problems. People were just looking at my passport all the time. All the time. Oh, they look at the visa in Mozambique. They look at the visa here. All these things, they waste my time. So I uh, don't think that as a monk, things are so easy, actually. <laughs> I mean, I don't want you to have that impression. <laughs> we go to all, especially me, I go to places like Ireland, and now I'm, from here I'm going to Japan, and after that I go to China. I mean, I have a busy schedule. So I face lots of problems, and I have to apply this. What I apply is called more drama, less drama. <laughs> More drama, less melodrama. 
So what I do is just remind myself about them, I'm telling you. I'm not off the hook, in other words. I have to apply the dam, actually. There is a very interesting uh, prayer. It's called Serenity Prayer. I give it a Buddhist twist. Serenity Reflection. It says that God grant me the serenity, but here I'm going to say, may I have serenity, just like that. So to accept things I can't change, Courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. For me, that's amazing. That really captures what equanimity is. It captures the whole thing about equanimity. Now, we come to meditation experiences. You have all got uh, some kind of announcement about sounds coming, but it hasn't come. Are you waiting for it? <laughs> Actually, for me, I, whenever I see the truck, you know, I stay up there. I say, oh, it's, is that the one coming? <laughs> I don't, do, do you have some kind of expectation? <laughs> okay, I think all you are waiting, all these sounds coming, and our meditation is going to be kaput. <laughs> So anyway, I don't want to sow the seed of expectation, but for me, every time I see the truck, but it's amazing, the truck brings different things, but because this announcement has been going on and on and on. <laughs> okay, in case sounds arise, in case it manages to come, this is what you should do. Remember to be equanimous, because I remember I had to do that. In two places I did this kind of practice. I ordained in San Jose, in, in Target Center. This center, I don't know if you know it, but uh, the chief monks are uh, Sado Pandita, my preceptor, Sado Silananda, who passed away, and then Sado Chipapanyo. Those are the three chief monks of that center. It's an urban center. It's right on the main road, and it's just close to the uh, San Jose International Airport. So I left IMS, I used to stay here. I left the IMS and went to Oden. Uh, you know, as IMS is very quiet. I went to this center. They told me that this center is so beautiful. You can imagine those three monks, the head, I mean, the, one of the best teachers. So I said, I need to practice with these teachers and then understand what meditation is all about. When I arrived there, I had the sounds every moment. The cars, because the center's on a, on a really big road, main road, a lot of sound, and then airplanes changing gears, landing gears, and all that. I was so frustrated. I said, is this where I came to practice? Maybe I should go back to IMS. Or maybe I should go to a quiet place. Then... Um, I was ordained there, and then I started practicing. We're not talking about six weeks, three months. I mean, once you become a monk, the whole life is there. You, you, you practice six months and all this. So one time I was practicing, and this sound was disturbing me. I said, okay, you know, how about I put earplugs? And then I will be done with sounds. 
I mean, they were drilling a road, actually, next to the monastery. I mean, this sound was shaking the whole ground. Apart from the airplanes and the, the, the cars on the main road, I'm telling you, I could not stand it. But what's very interesting, before I go for my interviews, before I went for my interviews, I saw my teacher was so calm and peaceful. This is a monk after taking breakfast, he meditates and meditates and meditates, go for a walk. And then I saw him so composed. He's not disturbed by sounds. But for me, I felt so agitated. And I said, okay, I'm going to report to him that, okay, I'm going to put earplugs all the time. I'm going to meditate here. Please allow me to use earplugs. <laughs> then I went to him and said, can I use earplugs? No, he said, no. <laughs> should use it mindfulness. <laughs> mindfulness. <laughs> to overcome these sounds. I practiced and I practiced. I was so disturbed, but anyway, at some stage, I had to accept things the way they are. I just kept on noting. They, they teach, teach this kind of technique is called noting technique. Whenever I had sound, I, I would say sound, 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 hearing, hearing. But it wasn't working, actually. <laughs> but I found out, actually, it was so heavy, actually. It wasn't a very soft mental note. <laughs> so I had to soften, actually. Because it, was land, it wasn't landing. Yeah, it was this aggra aggressiveness. Hearing, hearing, hearing. <laughs> so, but it was amazing the way I changed my mental note, softness, with that kind of acceptance. Acceptance. Oh, hearing. It's amazing. After meditating there for six months, I mean, the, 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 all the sound were in the background. The airplanes and all the cars. I mean, I think I, I would be. I, I would lose the battle if I was. I would fight the sounds all the time because the car there they run the whole day. So uh, they, you cannot fight that. You know, you can't stop the cars. You know, but I found out you can do something. Mindfulness could actually help me. It didn't stop the sounds, but it helps my. It helped my resistance, and also it helped me to put the sound in the background. That every time I was doing walking meditation, it was going on very well and sitting meditation. I had no problem with sounds. So um, it's, uh, you can work with it. It's coming soon. I don't know when, but uh, <laughs> don't expect so much. It will come sometime, but work with it. And, and don't reach it, actually. Don't reach it, as somebody said. Um, at least you are lucky you've practiced for almost uh, how many days? I don't even remember. Many days without it. But I think even when there's no sound, there's always something disturbing us. The winds that are always blowing. I remember I was at Bavano Society. As a monk, always I want to go for vacation. Do you want to know the vacation for monks? Is meditation. <laughs> That's our vacation. <laughs> So I went for one month, uh, as usual. Every year we have a one-month uh, retreat. And I, I meditated my kuti. The day started meditating my kuti. That's when the sound started at Bhavana Society, where they were putting, they were putting a power line, like 50, 100, 
500 kilowatts. Per, I mean, they brought all tractors that I've never seen in my in the entire life. I've never seen these tractors. They started in the morning when I, st I start meditation, the whole evening. I'm telling you, it was very painful, I'm telling you. Very painful. The whole month. And as soon as I finished one month, finished, they stopped, actually. It's amazing. <laughs> I don't know whether it's personal. I don't know. I was getting a little bit personal here. I mean, how come that... <laughs> I couldn't actually put it together, actually. And I, I mean, I had to go back to my normal life as a monk in the monastery. I started planning a retreat as okay, next time I'll go to the forest refuge. I'll have a better meditation. I had a good meditation, but not as I expected. <laughs> so I came to IMS after teaching in Brazil, which like one month teaching in Brazil, I, I checked, uh, checked in at the forest refuge. There is no sound, and I said, wow. That's a good holiday for me, good vacation for me. I'm going to benefit a lot. I've been teaching dhammas uh, everywhere, um, business people, and universities, and retreats, and all that. I said, okay, it's time for me to practice now. I'm telling you there was no sound, but I'm, I'm telling you uh, that center has wonderful food, very healthy food, but I'm telling you I had this stomach problem that took two weeks, two weeks. I sailed through this stomach problem, two weeks, I'm telling you. We changed a lot of food. We took Bino and all this. I mean, we did everything. Those people, you know, I don't know. Here, people love me so much. <laughs> they really take care of me. So, I mean, the kitchen at Forest Refuge was so concerned, you know. I'm telling you, this, I had stomach problems for two weeks. I don't know where it was coming. So, I came to the conclusion. This way, I come to the conclusion. We cannot rearrange the external world. Or we cannot wait until everything is perfect to practice. I had to come to terms because I thought, well, I have one month at Forest Refuge. Uh, I mean, uh, I didn't expect anything, actually. I didn't expect anything to come. Uh, but something still came. This time from me, not from outside. Yes, so really we have to come to terms with whatever's arising, whether it's inside, whether it's outside. We have to come to terms. So, come to terms with whatever's arising. Have equanimity. Now, I go to one kind of equanimity. That's more of a balancing but a, of the mind. But let me go to another kind of equanimity we find in what we call the four Brahma Viharas, the four Divina, Divina Boards. So this is called also Upeka. It's also have a sense of balancing, but this time towards human beings. Not so much of the... As I've been mentioning, this wins, but really beings. We know we have friends. We have uh, unfriendly people. I don't know if you have, but... <laughs> Yeah, so we have all people actually, kinds of people, neutral people. So we have to bring a balance to all this. According to ancient commentaries, one of them is called uh, the path of purification by 
Venerable Buddha Gosa, they have a way of defining it in a state of mind or the Dharma, which is very, very interesting actually, which like shows the characteristics, function, manifestation, and all that. So here they say that upeka equanimity, the characteristics, lakana in Pali, is promoting objectivity towards beings. Its function is to see equality in beings. Its manifestation is the subsiding of acquisitiveness and resistance. Proximity cause is seeing ownership of karma deeds. Karma, in other words, volition actions. So it goes on and on, actually, but uh, I think this is too much. As, as I told you that I want to give a small dose, not too much. Otherwise, it's very difficult to remember all this. So um, actually, this quality of mind, I uh, know you cultivate it in your practice here in meditation. I know you are doing metta now. That's what you are doing in the evening, and you, you go probably to other states also in like in Brahma Viharas, like compassion, then there's appreciative joy. The fourth one is called equanimity towards beings. According to this uh, post-canonical literature, they gave away how to practice it systematically. Again, according to that uh, path to pur of purification, Visuddhimagga, they say that when you practice this uh, uh, positive emotion, you start with a neutral person. In this uh, case, somebody who's neither friendly nor hostile. So you start with that person, and then you go to uh, the dear person, somebody who's a friendly, and then the, the dearest person, and then you go to unfriendly person, and then you go to all beings, you send equanimity to all beings. So that there's no difference between one who's the beloved ones and unbeloved ones. That's where you want to aim that you don't find any difference between the, these categories. So there shouldn't be much difference or no difference. There should be no difference between yourself, uh, between uh, the friendly person, unfriendly person, neutral person, uh, hostile person, all beings. So there shouldn't be difference. You should see them evenly. As I told you in Pali, that word upeka means seeing evenly, impartially. The phrases which are given traditionally, I'm going to give you, and you can work with them as you, as you like. The first one is, you are the owner of your karma. Or karma is uh, in Sanskrit, and in Pali it's karma. Kal, to do, that's a root, the Pali word, to do, kal. In Sanskrit is kas, is actually the root, but uh, the thing that uh, this word it was used in Hinduism also, it's still used actually as a deed, a physical deed like ring a bell is karma. That's the karma. But when it came to Buddhism, the Buddha raised this uh, uh, word to a higher philosophical level 
to include volition. In fact, that's how we defined it. Karma is volition. Full stop. Don't get confused. <laughs> it's a very profound teaching, and I don't want to go there tonight because it will just open really Pandora's box. It's the most misunderstood teaching, the teaching on karma. But I'll just mention a few things that we help actually to, uh, to you to reflect. First, if you believe that everything is caused by karma, that's an extreme. And if you believe that nothing is caused by karma, that's also another extreme. Because one, the first one is kind of fate, uh, kind of thinking of a f like fate, fate. You know, that's a fate determinism, deterministic idea. And if you think that nothing is caused by karma, then you leave everything to chance. Oh, everything is blind chance, you know. So, but here in the teaching, we find out that karma is our intentions, actually, our intention action, which have a potential. The word potential is very important. They, these volition actions have a potential to yield results, depending on their ethical quality, whether that's unskillful or skillful. So uh, my offering here is actually to look at karma as a teaching that can help us to be more equanimous, to have kind of self-restraint and self-reliance, and to be responsible for actions. some teaching we find it in uh, Buddhist literature that is very helpful here so that we don't attribute everything to karma. They are called niyamas, the five niyamas, this kind of laws. Niyama in Pali is order. There are five of them. Four of them have nothing to do with karma. So this is some understanding that I want to draw to you so that you have some kind of understanding of what karma is. These laws, the first one is called, let's say, physical laws, kind of, uh, let's say, for instance, uh, when there's earthquake, the earthquake it causes tsunami, that's not karma. But the problem people attribute this, oh, this is the calm of people in Lanka or somewhere. That's even, uh, we find these things also people are traditionally Buddhist, they really have that kind of belief, actually. But this is called physical laws, you know, physical laws, climatic laws, like in Pali is called Utuniyama, Utu, climatic laws. So there's another one which is organic law, is uh, called Bijaniyama, law of seeds. That means when you plant apple seed, you get apple because an apple seed is not going to give you mango. <laughs> so <laughs> that's then, it's a kind of, uh, yeah. a law of uh, germinations, uh, the way how uh, seeds germinate. That's nothing to do with the karma. Now, there's another law that also is very important. It's called Dhamma Niyama. Dhamma Niyama. Dhamma laws. 
like things rising and passing away and uh, but, but more of the matters which is the uh, events that happen when the buddha's born there's the earthquake there's this there are certain things that come when the the being like the buddha's born they're called dhammatas. so that has nothing to do with the karma there is also another thing uh, uh, which is called chitta niyama chitta niyama so this chitta niyama is uh, the process that uh, arises let's say when you look at uh, something and then your eyes and the visible object the meat and then cause what we call eye consciousness. That has nothing to do with the karma. As I look at you like now, and then I see it's a visible object, that's a, a mental process, a, a conscious process actually. It's a co conscious process due to consciousness uh, arising from seeing these two things, what we call contact. The, the, the coming of the three is called contact. And then after that, they will have a feeling. So then that karma might set in there. But really, this process of uh, like uh, you see a visible object and uh, seeing arises, it's actually nothing to do with the karma. So that's already four. Then there's also karma niyama. So that makes the five niyamas. So if somebody says that everything is caused by karma, so you have to explain them that, okay, there are some laws. <laughs> so they don't go on the other extreme. So they must have equanimity. This knowledge actually helps us to have equanimity because we, we don't go to the other side, you know. So that's how far I can go for the karma because it's a different dharma talk. So, uh, but I just want to tell you that when this knowledge of knowing karma is very, very important in a retreat setting because I don't want to be too academic here. I want to tell you, when we know the law of karma, it can reduce our judgment. We judge others. If you have a judgmental mind, and re you start reflecting on the law of karma, say, oh, that's their volition actions. That's their intention actions. Uh, they, they are going to bring results to them. It has nothing to do with me. So uh, it's very, very important to remember that. Also, people are comparing each other's. So you, you're comparing yourself to the other person? No. no. Everybody has their own karma. So you ha we can reflect on this. Okay, that's a reflection which is say you are the owner of your karma. You can do it to the dear person, as I've mentioned, the different categories. There are some phrases that have come down the, uh, the, the tradition, and most people use them, but use them carefully. <laughs> One of them is... Uh, uh, may you accept, okay, this is okay. May you accept things as they really are. Actually, it's a very good one. But there's another one which says, your joys and sorrows depend upon your karma, not upon my wishes. Well, depending on the tone that you're using, <laughs> it might be some kind of indifference, which is actually a near enemy. It disguises itself as equanimity, but it's not equanimity. It's a, what we call them near enemy. It looks like equanimity, but indifference is not the same as equanimity. In, with indifference, you are disconnected with the reality, with what's going on. And the far enemy uh, is actually the attachment and resistance or resentment and all that. That's what we call far enemy. Now, we have to 
three phrases we can use. <laughs> One is, may you accept things as they really are. You can always repeat that. May, may you accept things as they really are. You send to the neutral person. Uh, so it's really coming to terms with life because with no life, there will be suffering, there will be happiness, there will be success and all that. So, but sometimes we have to come to terms and they say, okay, you know, uh, uh, let us see all these things in a balanced way so that we have a peaceful mind. I teach in Sri Lanka. First, I teach a diploma in Boots Counseling. I teach meditation there. And then I, it's amazing for me uh, when I was asked to teach in a hospital. It's a physio unit where all my participants, they are in a wheelchair. All participants. This is my first time to teach such an audience. All people are in pain. I mean, here, maybe you come here, you are not in pain, but maybe emotional pain. But there I can see clearly that people are in pain. Some of them actually are really like numb, you know, they the whole paralyzed, you know, they are something holding their neck and really a lot of pain. So what I do, to, I teach them relaxation program, not meditation, <laughs> because there are there's so many people who don't understand what's meditation, but they understand re relaxation. So I teach in the biggest, well, the second biggest hospital there, I've taught five times there, but I have this kind of equanimity when I see them. Because the first time I, see them, I, see, I saw them, I was really teaching them, and I said, oh, uh, may you be free from suffering and all this. And I can see people, is this person going to, go, to really go out of this wheelchair? Then the doctor told me, no, the whole of their life, they are going to be like this. So what I did is to switch to equanimity, really. Because, I mean, this is not going to stop, you know. So I always have this equanimity so that I have a balanced mind when I, I talk, uh, I teach these people uh, in wheelchairs. One raised the hand, you know. Why are the people not attending? I feel more peaceful now. I said, wow, you're feeling peaceful in a wheelchair? After my program, relaxation program, you feel much better? I say, wow, I felt a lot of joy and modita, appreciate joy and equanimity. All these states we can feel in our life. Now, what are the cost benefits? Cost benefit. What do we get from this? I'm using a modern term. <laughs> <laughs> Cost-benefit analysis. <laughs> Why well, have to do all this? Uh, remembering about love karma and all these things. Do you have some ideas? I've told you already to have a, a balanced mind, to have a, um, to have self-reliance, responsibility, uh, <coughs> not, not having this judgment. I mean, dealing with judgmental mind, but. I found out there are some 11 benefits. Actually, they come down in the post-canonical literature, like the ancient commentaries, like the path of purification. The Buddha gave them only for metta. Metta, the Buddha gave these 11 benefits only for metta in the scriptures. 
But I found out that the commentary said that even those 11 benefits that you get in Metta can arise when you practice equanimity. So I'm going to go through them before the time finishes here. So the first one is one sleeps very well. I think sleeping is so important. I don't know if you have some <laughs> any clue about this. Sleeping is so important. I, I, I don't take it lightly, actually. Because I cross time zones. I, I mean, uh, over here and there. I'm telling you, sometimes I, 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 I cannot sleep because of the time difference. And I know how I feel the next day. Yes. So if you practice equanimity, that means you're not going to have this kind of... Uh, uh, attachment to beings and situations and resentment, so your mind is balanced, then you can sleep very well. But of course, uh, for me, my case, it could be time zones. <laughs> Even when I, my mind is in balance, uh, still uh, I have uh, this problem with time, crossing time zone. So, but practice more of this. Uh, you can get some bonus. Actually, this is called bonus. <laughs> you can sleep very well. People might be complaining about not sleeping very well. So you can practice equanimity, equanimity and be with that experience. I stay with that experience myself, actually, and accept things. Yes, and see. You sleep well. This can save a lot of money on buying sleeping pills, actually. <laughs> you save a lot of money. It's very easy. Just practice equanimity. Now, uh, second benefit is you wake up very well. You're not grumpy and grouchy and all this, yawning and all this. So you wake up in comfort. It was amazing when I was here on staff, people used to ask me in the morning, what? that time I was called Stephen. So what's happening? <laughs> you wake up, you, you, you're already uh, wired. <laughs> so actually, uh, I found out actually my wake up time is not bad, not that bad. Uh, but I saw people who are really having a terrible time after waking up and they were reaching for coffee and, and all this. But for me, uh, I, I had a great time actually. <laughs> When I wake up, I was doing yoga and headstands and meditate. And, I mean, people could see me and say, what's happening? But for me, actually, I do a lot of things before they see me. And I was already in that space where I look very happy. So I can see the difference. People have not done these things, you know. Uh, so I put already in my meditation and you see me in the morning. Of course, I'm in a different space. So anyway, uh, that also very helps, uh, helpful. Another one, is, uh, the third one is called you have sweet dreams, actually. When you practice equanimity, you have what we call good dreams, not evil dreams where you see ghosts and goblins and uh, all these things. So I, I want to call these Dharma dreams, actually. That you have Dharma dreams. I mean, you, when you, you, you dream, you just dream when you're chanting and meditating. <laughs> Actually, it happened to me. So sometimes maybe when you go to sleep, you just feel, you just feel some kind of Dharma talk eh? running into your kind of running in your head. That's good dreams, you know. Kind of uh, those 
programs that keeps on running even when you are sleeping. There's a program keep on running. <laughs> if it's a dharma thing, I think that's very good. It will give you more energy. The fourth one is that you are dear to friends. Another one is you are dear to non-human beings like dogs and animals and bears. <laughs> I was at Bhavana, I saw a bear actually. I was at Bhavana Society. This was my day off. I'm telling you, when I saw this bear, I thought it was a dog actually. You talk about delusion? <laughs> I thought it was a black dog actually. I was in the nature in front of my kuti there, and then, I mean, I had always told people that don't pull my leg. There's no bear here. I mean, I had spent almost six years without seeing a bear, and they saw there's a, a nun here who was staying here. He saw a bear. I said, no way. I'm telling you, I was the first one to saw a bear <laughs> after my meditation. I'm telling you, it saw me. It was this much closer over there. And I saw the legs were doing like this. I said, no, this is not a dog. <laughs> Out of meta and equanimity, I ran to my kuti. That was my equanimity. <laughs> no need to fear bears. So, actually, <laughs> maybe I told naivety. I was very naive, actually, because this was my first time to say bear. I went after it, sending meta loving kindness, because I thought I scared it, actually. <laughs> but that was very naive, actually. So I went, may you be well up and peaceful, may you be well up and peaceful. And it was running to another coat like this. So, uh, but they told me, next time you have to be big like this. Maybe next time I'll tie my robes like this and make them into cells like this. <laughs> I said that we get scared, actually. They say if it's something is bigger than it, it will get scared. So when you walk around, walk with your shawls. And <laughs> have a lot of equanimity and spread it out when you sit. Don't get suffocated in the building and don't walk out. Enjoy your walks, <laughs> and then you can do something. <laughs> Equanimity. There is a seventh benefit here. Uh, it's fire, poison, weapon. Do not affect you when you have equanimity. Now, I don't want you to go to fire now. When there's some fire raging somewhere and bullets are passing up, and <laughs> don't say, yes, I'm just coming from IMS. <laughs> Band talked about equanimity. <laughs> I don't have any insurance for you, and uh, <laughs> please don't do that. This is actually figurative. Fire, poison, and... Uh, weapon of greed, hatred, and delusion. Some people take things so literally and they think like it's really fire burning. Though in the commentaries, in the commentary we have instances where actually people ex ex escaped fire, where people escaped uh, uh, poison and also weapons, but it's in a commentary. But also I can say something. Some people have escaped bullets. 
there are some people who have escaped bullets and other things. I, I mean, it's not really uh, something new. The people who have escaped bullets. There's a Thai, a Thai monk I know to reveal the story. There's another monk also I had. So there, you know that there's some people actually who can escape these weapons, but don't just go deliberately. <laughs> don't reach out for this kind of thing, right? So the uh, eighth one is the mind gain concentration easily. In case you are fighting and struggling for getting, uh, to get concentration, have equanimity. Have equanimity. And the way you, are you want to have equanimity is actually to drop your struggling so much to gain concentration. I've seen people struggling a lot. I used to struggle a lot to gain concentration. But I found out in relaxation that concentration come by itself. So what people do, I'm using this example from one monk. So what people do is, this is the cup of water. They hold it like this. Like this, I want to gain concentration. Even things that will bring concentration, they keep on holding like this. And all the time is actually the mind is ruffled. So if you want to gain concentration, have equanimity. Drop the cup and leave the mind alone. <laughs> Just do, practice what leads to concentration, like metal loving kindness, watch the breath, not too tight, not too loose. Uh, so then the mind will settle down. And then you have equanimity, it will settle down. Um, this is uh, very important in our practice, actually, to gain concentration so you will not have sluggishness of mind. Number nine, your ex, uh, expression of one, uh, your face will become serene. In other words, complexion will be bright. How about, that's good news, eh? <laughs> You'll have Dharma cosmetics. <laughs> you, you can have also other cosmetics, but this is the best because it will be within, coming from inside. Now, the tenth one is when you die, you die unconfused. That's very important. Maybe it's not here yet. <laughs> but uh, it's also most people die struggling and all this. And also, there's also the eleventh one is that if you fail to penetrate the higher states of mind, like even equanimity or even don't go to, to the... Uh, the host, the, the full enlightenment, at least you go to Brahma world after death. In Brahma world, there's no gender issues. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs> That's what I had. <laughs> okay, let us sit for a moment or two. Uttaman. A mind undisturbed by the eight worldly winds is safe, sorest, and stainless. This is the greatest blessing. I offer this for your reflection. Thank you very much. I hope you can digest this. <laughs>
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.